Hello and welcome back to the Uncut Feminine Podcast. In our last episode, we talked about the four habits of femininity, four pillars that make the feminine principle something real, something achievable, something we can take in our day-to-day life. And the conversation was important and what birthed out of it was how do we create the same habitual practices and express the feminine principle at work. So we started brainstorming it. And in this episode, we're going to tackle this. How do we be feminine at work? If you didn't listen to the previous episode, head over and do it now. We're going to post the link in the description so it gets easier for you to access it. For the newcomers, I'm Juana, and I'll be your host for the next half an hour, together with my colleague, Yona. And we're trying to find the best possible answers and ways of looking at life that can really empower your womanhood. For those who don't know me yet, I'm the founder of TheFeminine.com. It's an online platform dedicated to women all over the world. Our mission statement revolves around a totally new and fresh paradigm of self-care, well-being, and being feminine. At The Feminine, we really believe that the feminine principle can be a guide into our life, and it can enrich us not only on a personal level, but on a social level as well. So we are developing, creating and looking at practices and ways in which we can take the feminine principle into our life and enrich our lives with it. I've been a transformational coach for 14, 15 years now, and I've dedicated the last eight to empowering women to trust their voice follow their heart and embrace their womanhood completely. The feminine is the embodiment of my work and its main focus and intention is to support women into acknowledging their true power, connecting with their authenticity and give a full expression of their gifts to the world. And it brings together practices and exercises and principles that are connected to the feminine principle especially for women, but I think also for men. And we are going to look at that more and more because we're bringing different ways in which masculine and feminine can interact in our day-to-day life. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic, I think. How can we become feminine at work? How we can take femininity into our work without sounding weak or irrational or uh, disconnected from reality? And I have my friend with me, Joanna, here. And uh, we are going to brainstorm on how we took that challenge for ourselves as a business and how we developed uh, ourselves as a team, not being feminine and striving to be feminine and (laughs) what were the bumps (laughs) and the trials of, of that process. We still have more to go, for sure. It's an ongoing process. But uh, I think uh, we can brainstorm on it. I already have a question. (laughs) I didn't have it five minutes ago when we started the recording, but it came up while you were reading the intro. And I was thinking that we so often put the feminine way in perspective with the masculine way. But it just came in my mind an example putting the feminine way in perspective with a girlish way. (laughs) Because the feminine... It's also the better side of the girlish way, not always the counterexample of the masculine way. And the question came up because I was remembering um, 
an episode in my life. I was working uh, in a very tough environment. I had a boss. He was an extraordinary man, a very strong man, but the environment was awful. And during two years, I think, while I worked with him and for him, I, not from the very beginning, but in the last year for sure, every single day I was going to him with my resignation. And he took it and he put it in the shredding machine and then the other day, (laughs) the resignation again. And I'm thinking back on it and how patient he was, in fact, because it was a fairly girlish attitude. It was my way of reacting to the environment because I was telling him something, the environment was supporting uh, some different perspective. I really did not have the ability to make my voice heard so that he would follow my advice, not what other people were telling him. And I really didn't know how to do that. And I was like trying to 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 get his attention doing this uh, resignation garlish, thing. Yeah, garlish. So uh, being a feminine, it's actually a demonstration of how strong you are sometimes, not necessarily of how emotional or weak you are, like we are used to imagine when we think of the masculine-feminine opposites. And understanding that the feminine is is not girlish and it's not vulnerable in that sense of the way, and that stepping into our power requires a different reference for how we express that power, I think, you know? acknowledging it first and with acknowledgement we come back to the first principle but yes i didn't even know i have power it's very interesting because something really popped up for me it's not necessarily connected to the conversation we're gonna have so i'm just gonna put it in a bracket but it's i think one of the confusions that was generated after the me too movement because we made a declaration as women and we were stepping into our power and into owning our power. And I don't think that the Me Too movement was a victim movement. I actually think it was sourced from a deep commitment of women stepping into light and owning that something needs to shift. And yet, we still have a lot of work to do as women, I think first and foremost, into creating references and mapping out different ways of interacting that are not abusive or are not dysfunctional. And I think it applies with the Me Too movement, but it's the same in the business environment. We don't want to live in abusive environments at work anymore. We want to feel balanced and honored as women at work. And yet, neither we women nor the men know how to do that. Yes, exactly. Nobody knew that. And it's, it's up to us to create it. And I think that's an important awareness to have because it gives us space and it gives us attention in the right place. Otherwise, we're just going to blame something that, you know, worked until now and we became aware that it really doesn't work at the level we want to work it. Um, and um, it's the first stage It's a very important stage, but we need to move forward. And I really hope that maybe this podcast will be an inspiration for many women out there who are struggling with being their true self as women at work and in life in general, in areas where they're powerful, where they're leaders, and where they feel an unconscious pressure or a very obvious pressure from the environment to act tough 
to make their point across. And um, yeah, it's up to us to balance that reference point for society, I think. I don't want to ask you now how do we do that, but I think two of the most frequent emotions or the way we perceive this kind of situation is like we either don't know how to do it or are afraid to do it. It's one or the other. How can we address it or how can we start addressing it? Because it's a process again. My work with men and women alike in my extensive coaching practice is always about conquering new unknown territories inside of you. And it's about giving a, a reference point, a mental context for your hidden potential so that you can achieve it. And when you reach that level or that point in your self-personal journey of discovery, you don't know. You don't know how to be. And you have to create it. And the greatest coaching tool I've ever, is the most simplest basic coaching tool I've ever used, but I use it ever since I started working in the coaching industry. And it's 14 years now. And it's like an open question. I don't know the answer, but if I keep being open and curious and engage my creativity with it. I will explore it. I will try it on, see what works, see that what doesn't work, keep exploring it, and then I'll figure it out. It may be a very personal answer, but it's an answer. It's a reference point. And then other people can get, you know, the enthusiasm and the courage to take it on. So it's an open question. How are we going to be feminine at work? And what does it look like to be feminine at work? And how we can allow the process to unfold until we figure it out? Because it is a process. I know for myself, when I started working with the feminine, I really put a lot of pressure on me to be feminine everywhere in my life as a way to have integrity with what I preach. And oh my God, <laughs> it took me years to unravel a very dysfunctional pattern, just like, you know, working hard and not taking a break and not listening to my body when it says take a break. I was abusing myself because it was the only way I knew how to work. And I, I was afraid to let go and find a different way and think that I will perform against a mainstream called society that said, no, you actually have to get burned out in the process. And if you're going to make it, then you're a successful person. If not, that's it. You know, there is a game. You either win it or lose it. But how can you do that in an environment that isn't actually supportive? Because I'm just looking now at my past experience and how we at the feminine do things. Because in the feminine, everybody who teams up or the people we work with are nurtured. Speaking about the benefits, the third benefits was nurture. They are nurtured, even if we don't address it, like it's not on the table for everyone like that, the word. They feel nurtured and, for example, a graphic designer in uh, two weeks, if we don't uh, call him, he calls us. How are you? Where have you disappeared? And it's obvious that he enjoys the process and this comes from the nurturing part. But let's be honest, not everybody has this kind of environment. There are women who struggle with very misogynistic bosses. How can you deal with that in a very unfriendly environment? Well, the feminine, I made it my personal 
commitment as a CEO to provide a type of climate like that. I think uh, most of the climates are not like that. <laughs> so most of the most of the times we are experiencing hard and tough environments, whether they're misogynistic or abusive or dysfunctional. And there will be women who need other women to step up so that they can relax into the feminine. But there are also women who are going to be leaders and who are going to take it on, on themselves to nourish while they haven't been nourished as a way to set a ground. And I think there are more and more women at, at this level willing to contribute. So that's one thing. Another thing where when I started it, I, I wasn't nourished. I, I started nourishing without feeling nourished. But I created a personal tribe in my life of women that were holding me in a sacred space and a sacred commitment and were able on a personal level to be with me in my quest. So the feminine can be a place for you to become connected with other women who can support you in your rise as a leader and in your rise as a pioneer. And then you will have the challenge, which is also inspiring. It doesn't have to be tough. I mean, it's tough, but it's challenging and it's cool and it's inspiring because you're co-creating something very new and that can bring a lot of fulfillment. So you have to act intentionally. You have yeah. to just say, I want to start living or having this environment, this life and work within the intention and be very present of what you're doing, speaking about awareness. And yeah, and if I look at one of the things that gave me more strength in the journey was taking the time to nourish myself with myself. Like I really became somebody who was bringing nourishment at work for everybody. And I know it was a long process with my employees to teach them that level of, of uh, well-being. Yes, I, I can... <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't easy at the beginning. It was a very freaky challenge because, you know, you want well-being, but then you're in a place where well-being is offered and then you're like all over the place about it <laughs> because feel... you, you're in shock that that's happening. That's first. And second, you don't know how to act. And third, you don't feel safe to relax into it. I remember some of, some of the members of my team, it took them like two or three years to really surrender. Like, oh my God, she's actually nourishing for the sake of nourishment. <laughs> she's not gonna punish me or ask something beyond what she's already asking. And there's no connection between nourishment and objectives. So it was, <laughs> it was really funny. But one of the things that I brought in this process of creating a climate of nourishment in how I work and in how I lead people in their work is by nourishing myself and learning the benefits and trusting the benefits through example because I saw how much it worked on me and then whenever I was opposed with resistance I didn't back down because I knew it was just part of the process and it was another layer that needed to be dealt with but the benefits will be there and it won't diminish the financial objectives of the business. It won't diminish the growth. It will empower it at some point. And I don't have to see the results right now. I need to trust. 
that's challenging even for a startup because even startups are very pushy in in the way they do things there are not only the the big companies even startups go with a manly attitude with a very pushy yeah, attitude it's true and probably everybody does that because they're afraid because they imagine soft is like weak and weak is losing the game I never I never put a pressure on my team to stop being workaholics and perfectionists. <laughs> you can't do that anyway. <laughs> I'm also that. So I never diminished the masculine energy. I just increased the feminine. And I think that was a strategic tackle, unconscious strategic movement. I wasn't aware of it. And it felt safer for people. It felt safer for me. So we were working like, and we know we do that. We work like crazy and we're very intensive and very competitive. But then we take the time to nourish. Now we started trusting ourselves, not only on a personal level, but as a team, that that's okay. It took a while. It took almost two years, I think. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. Just for the sake of offering an example of how we do things, Speaking about nourishment, on a Friday we decided to have a meeting to decide some of the topics we're going to address the following month. And it was planned to be in the same place where all this happens. And you just said, girls, what do you say about working today in the park? And we just went out and just stood there for six hours strolling. I don't think we ever worked, probably for 15 minutes. But at the end of the day we had the topics. They were there on the paper, and I think that's the most important, and you can do it. You don't have to, to, to live in a planning room or... Yes. And of course, that's more convenient for startups or for alternative businesses or small team businesses yes, than course. a company. For sure. But if you were to look at nourishment and how to bring it in your corporate environment, it would just be, I don't know, five minutes of connection human connection with no link to the agenda and start that in a in a open circle where everybody just has a say about where they are at that moment in their life in their work in their day in their hour you actually taught me something very cool me you were, yeah yeah you were having a breakdown in creativity and you were like uh shy about addressing it and uh, struggling on your own and <laughs> we had a meeting and you took the courage to say that you were struggling with your creativity and it was where you were and it was threatening for you to say that and it was threatening for me as the leader of the team to hear that and it was you know it opened up a very vulnerable very insecure space for both of us and for the whole team and Actually, I was aware at that moment, you know, it was a choice also what type of business you want to run. Do you want to run a business where people feel safe to tell the truth and really be okay with that and allow that? Or you want to run a business where you cover up the truth and you just focus on the results? And you just said it. We didn't even address it. It was like an open circle conversation. And... I stepped into a whole new level of vulnerability as a leader and you actually, by acknowledging it, something shifted for you. And you came and you said, I don't know, four days later, you know, something shifted for me. I feel more alive with my creativity after I just had the courage to say that in front of everybody. Yes, you, maybe some businesses or teams are not going to be ready to go all the way through. <laughs> 
but just a bonding of five minutes of where people are in their life, I think will bring an inclusiveness that will heighten performance, actually. And especially, that's perfectly true, and I think people working in creative environments will benefit a lot if they start doing things from a feminine energy, because the feminine energy is what creates, and you really feel like the power of creation. Even if you just address it, you don't have to do very specific things. But yes, taking some time off with the intention of growing or creating can be very, very useful because people struggle a lot with creativity, but they don't realize that staying in a closed office in a, a uh, floor number 99 is not at all very... You cannot become creative only just scrolling on Instagram or... Okay, it can be very useful, but you have to just to go out there and just connect with everything, with small things, like probably journalists understand better because connecting with the street and connecting with nature can be very, very useful for creativity. Yeah, and I think it's foolish to think that you can be creative all the time and, and the leader who does not allow for breakdowns, burnouts and peaks and valleys in the process of its own leadership and then the team workplace and how the team works, you know, acts mentally. And I think the feminine, what can bring to the subject is a connection with the human aspect of ourselves. I get burnout. You know, my team has the right to get burnout. It's part of the process. It doesn't mean that burnout will be there forever and we don't have a commitment to pierce through that. But unless we acknowledge it from a place of feeling safe and allowing it to be, then we can't really move with more fluidity. That's my experience. The moment we allow, you know, the capacity to own where we are in the process, we're moving more fluidly through the process. And this is a very different perspective because the masculine is always focused on the objective. No matter what, I have to get there where I want to be. The feminine is more oriented on the process. So you need to balance both. You need to stay focused on the objective, for sure. But if you bring the feminine principle at work in how you manage your team or how you co-create, then awareness of where the team is in the process brings a depth of information. It makes it more creative and people get more engaged. And I've learned it because I've seen it in sequels of creation where it ends and then you create a cycle again, it brings a deeper level of commitment and engagement in the team. Because when you're bringing awareness to the process, which is a feminine trait, people get more aware of the value they're bringing. And that makes their investment in the project, in the outcome, personal. So either they're struggling with, will I start a new project with you or not? They're more committed to that. It's a paradox. It's very funny, but it's a paradox, and it's a cool paradox. What about intuition? How can you transform intuition from a cliché, something more related to, to magical thinking, into an asset, an asset in decision-making? You should tell me that. 
because you were struggling with following your intuition in the workplace like nobody I've seen before. You were so afraid to step into your intuition for a long time and you were so attached to what the mind says and wants and needs and how we should do things. So you tell me. <laughs> I don't think it, there was a moment when I realized that something shifted because I'm still attached to numbers <laughs> and to scaling numbers. But probably now I trust more what I think it's... No, I trust more what I like or what inspires me. Because before I didn't find value, business value, not value in se, in things I liked or I things that I enjoy. I said, okay, that's my... That's my thing. It's something I like. Why should other people like it? But now I think, okay, if I like it, that's value there. That's merit there. So maybe that's something there that I'll, other people will see. And now I trust more what I like. And I like more what I like. <laughs> and probably that's the way I'm getting connected with what we call intuition. But I'm always backing it up with <laughs> metrics and numbers. Sure, and we always do that. But you know, it's what's funny and where uh, I really get instant feedback on hashtags on Instagram. Because sometimes <laughs> I, I just use some hashtags coming to my mind and I, I couldn't imagine something someone before thought about that hashtag. But it's like two million hashtags <laughs> using those words and I say, oh my God. So I was right, people really have that as a reference, like a word or a phrase or a sentence. And then I keep on using it. I said, okay, this should work. And it works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. But probably it's a learning process in the back of every intuitive thinking. Intuitive. Yeah, and I think, you know, like businesses is always said that it's either you're creating a trend or you're at the right place in the right moment when a trend is created. And that's the avenue of success and thriveness for a business or any project. And I think it's true. I've experienced that it's true. I don't know if it's the only way. Uh, but I think intuition connects you more with the trend. It connects you more with the collective energy around the subject or around the product. So, you know, whenever you, you want to try and narrow it down in the masculine objective strategic thing, I think that's very powerful and it brings a clarity to the workplace. But then if you just allow your intuition, in a way you're mapping what's the trend or where people will instinctively go in the future. And I think it's a cool tool to allow in your business after everything is done, said and calculated. doesn't matter if you are or are not a leader, if you are just starting your career or approaching passion, how you can use these tools in your working environment so that you can empower yourself? Well, it's how I always advise women in my workshops. For them, it was also how do I bring my feminine, new acquired, uh, soft, subtle capacities and, uh, you know, emotions and ways of softening to my relationship with the man because he's, he's closed, he's not. And I think in a way it's a very, very narrow dynamic that is present in the social scale. It's how I always guide them, do the inner work. Because what's really important with the feminine 
is not so much talking about it or preaching. It's really becoming that feminine energy that is nourishment. I've never talked to my graphic designer about nourishment. Never. I was nourishing even when I wasn't because my energy was cultivated in that way. So for us women to influence our environment, whether it's at work, with our men, or in social outskirts, or in community. We need to trust and understand the power that comes from cultivating our feminine energy. And if we take the time to cultivate strength and being in our truth, we will be able to share our truth in a way that's not aggressive, that's not competitive, and it will land even in the harshest environment. If we take the time to cultivate compassion, we will become compassionate. That will, will pierce through all the layers of our life and people will feel they're safe with us and they will open up, even our boss, for example. Because it's a human trait that we are, you know, enveloping people around us inside of. If we take the time to be fiercely committed to our intention and our feminine energy and ground ourselves and become more stable, we will create an atmosphere of calmness, of a connection to reality, of stepping into what's so, and that will influence the environment we work. People will be able to step more easily into acknowledging what's happening. And it's a subtle influence. And it doesn't have to shout, it doesn't have to fight, it doesn't have to create a revolution, but it makes a difference. So trusting more and cultivating more the feminine energy inside of you until it's so nourished inside of you that it becomes ripples outside of you, of waves of energy, it's a beautiful, profound way of influencing your environment, no matter your position in that environment. It's like the water. The water is the most powerful element in nature. It's the only element that manages uh, to interact with stone and shift stone. Stone is an untouchable element. Nothing can really shift it except water. And water just erodes through enveloping the stone, it erodes the stone. It's the same with the feminine energy. We cannot be feminine unless we cultivate the energy of feminine. So what I hear, just to be sure everything lands very clear, it's you can develop emotional awareness, you can turn intuition into an asset, and you can make nurturing of value that you can apply in your environment, business or personal. but Nurturing habits, yeah. Nurturing habits. And of course, you can eventually embody all of this. But first, it doesn't happen overnight because you have to say, yes, I want to. You have to say yes and you have to make an option to become every single of these values. And then you have to do the work because when I was troubled and I, when I was confused and I, when I wasn't grasping my power, it happened because I never said yes. And because I never said yes, 
I wasn't able to do the work. You were struggling, yeah. And I see now a lot of friends and a lot of people, men and women, it doesn't matter, around me, who, who struggle, who are afraid of admitting that they are struggling. And they are like this because they really never say yes or they really never say no. They just stay like this and expect for something to come up and save them. Or I, I don't know, I don't want to sound judgmental. But it's really important to say yes and then do the work and then you'll embody. Yeah, and, and the subtle point to that is embodiment doesn't come from ticking another box in your environment like, okay, I'm gonna create nourishing habits for everybody. Tick. I'm going to ask everybody about their intuition. Tick. I'm going to bring uh, emotional awareness to the environment and ask people how they feel about things. Tick. No. The feminine embodiment means cultivating the feminine energy and this will bring your feminine essence to a level of enveloping people into the energy of nourishment and that energy will unfold in many different ways and create habits in dynamics or on your own or for them that you know will burst out of the creativity of the dance of the energy that's a very important uh, subtle pitfall and it's not fluffy at all no, and it, it's exactly what you said. It's saying yes to the process and actually doing the process. Yes, thank you, Anna. It was a strong conversation, but I think it landed exactly like it should. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very complex uh, topic. We should address it more often, for sure. Hope it made a difference uh, to everybody, including men, who are also struggling in how to honor and respect now the feminine principle that is rising uh, to a whole new level of truth and uh, try I promise you trying works <laughs> and say yes and say yes say yes 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 and um, I were really looking forward to, to hearing your questions share your questions with us share, share your challenges share your stories and uh, help us bring it to the floor for everybody Thank you.